Okay, what's going on, everyone? So, just want to make sure it's in there this time. All right. Last week, I plugged in these earphones, but they didn't actually go through. Holden, good to see you. Thanks for jumping in. Kind of running behind today. We're supposed to start 15 minutes ago, but as they say, better late than ever. Hey, how's my audio working? I had a little bit of trouble with these earphones last week. I'm just curious if they're still working or I might need to buy some new ones. Elias, good to see you. Jerry, thanks for jumping in. I saw a few other people jumped in as well. Uh, okay, cool. Adolfo, long time no here, man. Hopefully life is going well with you. Okay, so let me grab a sip of my ritual coffee here. Always drinking organic, of course. And let me get my notes. Cool. So, of course, if you guys have any questions today, um, I'm happy to happy to address them and stuff of that sort. Uh, but today we'll be talking about like anxiety and fat gain. Carlos is in the house. Austin representative here. Uh, we'll be talking about anxiety and fat gain, but before we begin, I actually do want to give a shout out to a couple of uh, my remote coaching clients. Carlos is actually one of them. Uh, he jumped in. So I'll just start with him since he jumped in. So he started at um, 220 pounds and he's coming in recently at 183 pounds. So that's a 37 pound difference, uh, which is a huge noticeable change. Um, and all we have them doing, obviously, we have to change a lot of lifestyle and nutritional variables and stuff of that sort. Uh, but all he's doing is just dumbbell workouts at home. So because of the crowded gym environment and his busy schedule, we decided the best option for him was to just buy some adjustable dumbbells. Um, I think we got power blocks for him and just to do those workouts at home. And he was able to lose 37 pounds, I think, in four or five, four to five months, probably five month mark at this point. Um, without using a gym at all. And there are advantages and disadvantages, you know, to a gym and advantages and disadvantages to an at-home gym setup too. Um, I mean, the huge advantage of obviously training at home is the time economics is big because oftentimes, especially if you're in a big city, just driving to the gym could be 20 minutes and then driving back to the gym could be 20 or more minutes. But your workouts are typically 40 minutes long, so just your commute in and of itself is pretty much the, the quantity, the time quantity of your entire workout. Uh, so there are huge advantages. So if you're busy, honestly, just to build a great physique in terms of what most people are looking for, you really do just need like an adjustable dumbbell set and like a door pull-up bar and maybe like a Swiss ball or stuff of that sort. And you're pretty much good to go on top of um, also like an adjustable bench, ideally that's like going from decline, flat and incline, which is easy to purchase on Amazon and fairly inexpensive too. I would just recommend for the benches, definitely getting a more of a heavier bench that could at least, you know, sustain 800 plus pounds. So it's not moving around and thus not unsafe, especially when you have two unstable objects uh, such as such as dumbbells, for example. So uh, you don't you don't need a gym, and for what most people are looking for, they don't need to go to a gym. I like going to the gym uh, because I work remote as well, so it's nice to get out of the house. Uh, but also, my gym happens to have pretty much almost no one there, especially since I'm showing up usually at like 
I don't know, I'm already there working out at like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And there might be like one person there, or maybe no one's there. But a lot of gyms could be extremely crowded. Um, so it might be an alternative, especially I heard possibly that they're bringing down the, bringing back the shutdowns in like November or December. So maybe um, getting an out-of-home setup right now would be ideal because they might become really expensive if they were to close the gyms again or stuff of that sort, which I don't think they're going to do um, starting in November and December and stuff of that sort. So just a couple of other people. I mean, Alex Rowski is also a member of this group and one of my remote coaching clients. And he started at 228 and coming off a really bad knee injury that he sustained from soccer before beginning the program. So he had the knee injury. Uh, he had to take time off from working out for quite a while and he put on quite a bit of weight. So he came in at 228. So we have to be careful, establish that biological resilience in his knee and develop resilience over time. But he went from 228 to 190 in five months. So it's a 40 pound difference. And he was just working out in his complex gym. So nothing super crazy or elaborate. Uh, Alex Hernandez, uh, he went from 275 and he's currently his current client and he's coming in at 220. So a 50 pound difference in a six month period. So we've been coaching six months together. He's kind of working at a very busy law firm, plus has multiple kids of his own. Um, plus he was able to, through dietary and lifestyle changes, able to get rid of his GERD and is almost off of his metformin medication completely. And I think by the end of the program, uh, he'll be healthy enough to not need to, not need to be on metformin and have to deal with all the side effects associated with that um, with that drug. Uh, Charlie Bonamo, once again, um, remote coaching client of mine, he started at 275 uh, and he actually finished the fat loss portion of his program at 180, so a 90 pound difference, which I think took nearly 12 months to do to lose 90 pounds. Uh, but the good thing is, is he also doubled his total testosterone. So I think he started at like 350 or so and he ended the fat loss portion of his program at about 750 nanograms per deciliter, which is quite high, especially considering he's 56 years old. And most 20 year, early 20 year olds these days don't even have that total testosterone. They can, but it's just people are living so out of alignment with their natural biology, uh, which explains why nine out of 10 Americans right now are metabolically sick. And by 2030, it's estimated that um, also 90% of Americans will either be overweight or obese. Um, so those are all symptoms of basically li living out of natural alignment with how the human body has evolved to human body, spirit, and mind has evolved to live. Uh, Serene, uh, started at 242, very busy lawyer as well as his own law firm. And currently he's coming in at 207 with a newborn as well and stuff of that sort. So really proud of him and his progress there. Uh, Anthony Evans, um, just very busy business professional, traveling a tremendous amount. So it was a challenge, uh, but we came up with a game plan and he went from 217 to 194 and actually just recently completed the fat loss portion of his program and is transitioning more into a lifestyle muscle development program. So. A key thing to remember, um, no fat loss program is sustainable, right? 
A lot of people, when they get into a fat loss program, start a fat loss program, they think they just need to be losing fat their entire life. In reality, of course, some programs are more sustainable than others, but in my opinion, you shouldn't be on a fat loss phase for your entire life, right? You should just be on a fat loss phase to lose the unwanted excess body fat you may have, whatever that may be, and everyone is different. And once you do that, you want to immediately transition more into like a maintenance lifestyle program or like a body fat maintenance muscle gain program where inevitably you will regain a little bit of your body fat for sure. But if you do it correctly, the majority of that gain will be, um, will be muscle instead of, instead of fat. So remember, no fat loss program is sustainable long-term. The whole point of a fat loss program is not for you to do it for your whole entire life, but moreover for you just to do it to get rid of your unwanted body fat and then kind of progress into more of a lifestyle or muscle development program or even maintenance program. Whatever your goals may be, everyone is of course different, uh, which is what I stress on a lot of these uh, lives that nature is a novelty generator. Everyone is different. Even uh, the, the even leaves on the same bush, every single leaf is completely different. Even every single grain of sand is completely different. And people are, some people, most people are more complex than grains of sand, you know? So obviously you need to meet the issue multidimensionally. And as Walensky would say, meet the problem at the level of the problem. Very, very important. Uh, and then I mentioned Carlos. Great guy. And also David just jumped in here. I, I was supposed to, I asked him to do a live with him today, but he's, he's busy living the, uh, the dream retirement lifestyle. Uh, so we'll try to do it maybe next weekend or the weekend after or something like that. Uh, but I wanted to give a shout out to him too, because he's made great strides. So 60 years old, uh, he started at 325 pounds, I think three to four months ago. I forget exactly at this point. Uh, but he's down to 280 already and a 45 pound difference. And um, that just shows that, you know, fat loss is possible at any age. A lot of these people are in their 40s. Charlie is 56. David is um, 60. Some uh, Alex Rowski's mid 30s. Same with Alex Hernandez, etc. Same with Serene is late 30s. So all of them are different age, but notice that all of them are losing body fat. And body fat, the good thing is body fat is easy to lose at any age. Muscle gain for sure might be a different story and certain athletic activities may become difficult with age, do become difficult with age, but fat, the good thing is this fat gain is definitely achievable and doable at any age when you know basic health principles and how to basically get, get people to live more in alignment with how their biology has evolved uh, over millions of years of human evolution and 200 plus thousand years of homo sapien evolution. Once you get them closer in alignment with that, eating like a human being is supposed to eat, uh, resting like a human being is supposed to rest, etc., etc. sure enough, their body fat melts away in a very predictable manner. So I wanted to give a shout out to those clients because I don't want these shows to be all about me. Uh, like in my opinion, it's just, if you're an influencer, you should be, and I don't consider myself an influencer at all, 
you should be putting the spotlight on the people that you are influencing and that you are changing, you know? Um, because that's where the change occurs, where you actually get people to take action and make noticeable change, right? And overcome difficulties in today's world, which doesn't necessarily facilitate mental and physical health, especially in the US, in the US today. So uh, the topic today I wanted to cover is anxiety and fat gain. We did one on a while back on depression and fat gain, which is very common. Depression is extremely common worldwide, especially in the US, but so is anxiety. And they follow kind of close behind oftentimes. And once again, I'm gonna be stressing two things here. So one, it's very important to do things, meet things at an individual level. So once again, everyone is gonna be different. And two, it's very important to stay away from the belief that if you just change one little thing, one little variable, everything will work out. Uh, it's, it's almost never the case, actually. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's never the case. Most of the time, especially when you're dealing with behavioral patterns such as most lifestyle disorders which we experience today, most, most patients that end up in the hospital for one reason or another are there because of poor lifestyle choices done over many decades. So when you're dealing with those types of situations, you have to approach it multidimensionally. You can't approach it from single variable perspectives um, because if you do that at best, you're going to have maybe some kind of short-term progress may feel good, really good, but then, you know, the symptoms will return or more symptoms will return, et cetera, et cetera. So try to stay away from that. So basically with anxiety and fracking, I'm going to go over what's actually worked for me over the years of dealing with anxiety that I had way back in the day, early college, I think like through high school and early college for the most part, maybe up until like 25 or something of that sort um, at most. But here's my story. So I shared this in another podcast, but I had social anxiety, also just generalized anxiety. And obviously, you know, my first reaction, because I didn't know any better at the time, was just to go to a local medical doctor, so a family physician, and tell them about it. And um, obviously their, their go-to plan was just to give me anti-anxiety or recommend rather anti-anxiety medication, right? After a two minute consult, I told them, you know, I feel like overwhelmed at school and uh, like socially awkward and stuff of this sort. And it's causing me like a decent amount of anxiety and making it tough to date and socialize and uh, pass exams and stuff of that sort. And they're like, well, after a two minute chat, like here, take this anti-anxiety medication and it should all work out. Obviously with, with my upbringing, um, I couldn't explain it at the time, but I knew there was something wrong with that approach, you know? And I knew there had to be more to it, especially since I was also from time to time visiting my, my grandmother that was still in Ukraine during the summers. I noticed a lot of the anxiety, if not all of it, would disappear during those summers. But then when I would return, back to going to school and life responsibilities and stuff of that sort, it would come back. So I'm like, well, you know, for sure there's an internal environment variable interacting with the external environment, such as your personality interacting with the external environment. But then there's also the external environment as well that might not be conducive to your health. And especially in my opinion, conducive to most people's health today, especially in America. Um, 
and stuff of that sort. So I was like, well, that's weird, you know? Uh, they said it was like a chemical imbalance in my brain, which actually, you know, chemical imbalance uh, theory of mental illness has been, as a sole variable responsible for mental illness has been disproven quite a long time ago. But back then it was like the thing. And they're like, well, it's, it's just your genetics and it is what it is. And um, here, just take this anti-anxiety medication. And I didn't take it simply because I, once again, have that AB contrast with, oh, why are my symptoms going away when I'm traveling? But when I return to a lot of responsibility uh, and uh, hectic work schedule and also like a type A personality traits, so constantly working and doing things, the anxiety comes back and stuff of that sort. Also notice the same thing with skin issues. When I would travel, my skin issues would disappear. In terms of acne on my back, I at one point had really bad cystic acne on my back as well, where the cyst could have been maybe even the size of a quarter, so pretty large. And then when I would travel, they would disappear. But then when I come back to the US, maybe not right away, but three or four weeks later, they would start coming back. And the dermatologist obviously recommended antibiotics, which I did use for a while, uh, to my regret, because once again, I was naive and didn't know any better. Now I know a lot better and have actually extremely clear skin. Although my testosterone is still extremely high, some people would say like, oh, your hormones have changed, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still at roughly 900 to 1,000 nanograms per deciliter for total testosterone. And I'm almost you know, 39 years old, uh, but it's completely gone. My skin is completely clear. I don't have any acne on my face or my back, uh, or I used to get them even on like the back of my neck area as well. And uh, I just knew just from that AB contrast, there's something with the environment or dietary changes, et cetera, et cetera, that was causing that, at least for me. So I was able to change that. And even to this day, I, I, I don't really use even any hygiene products. I just rely heavily on um, just living a well-balanced life, uh, getting good workouts in, using the steam room, drinking a lot of water, always filtered through my Berkey water filter, and really just heavily, heavily focusing on keeping my gut healthy, and also uh, just sourcing very high quality food. So AGA certified beef bison, uh, deer, elk, wild fish, a variety of organic, like legitimately organic uh, vegetables and fruit, uh, and stuff of that sort. So, and then no skin issues. And the skin looks very vibrant, uh, especially with using a steam room. I find it really kind of establishes that glow and stuff of that sort. So I kind of stood away, uh, stayed away from the drug route. And honestly, from personal observation, I've really haven't seen many people that have taken the drug route that have experienced great results with taking psychiatric drugs for anxiety, uh, for anti-anxiety drugs, basically. Yes, they do have some short-term relief initially with a low dose, right? And then it lasts for a little while, but then, you know, the effects of the drug wear off and then they have to up the dose. And then it lasts for a little while, then it wears off, then they have to up the dose. And then usually depression rolls around too, because where anxiety persists for prolonged periods of time, usually depression comes around as well. Now they're on an anti-anxiety and antidepressant. And it's the same thing oftentimes I also see with uh, depression, antidepressants. We started a low dose, they feel good a little bit initially, then they got to up the dose, then they feel good initially, then it wears off, then they got to up the dose, then they've maxed out the dose on one drug, 
and uh, then they basically now are on two antidepressants. Some people I know are on like, like three antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications and stuff of that sort. And they, they are just looking and feeling worse year after year simply because they're following the model of if you have a rock stuck inside your shoe, they keep the rock there that's causing pain, but take painkillers instead. I try to go by the model of like, hey, if I have a rock inside my shoe, and I got this saying from a good friend, Jator Pierre, I just take my shoe out, I remove the rock, and then I put my shoe in and then evaluate why the rock was there to begin with. And maybe I need to fasten my shoes a little bit more or have like a slightly higher ankle so the, so the um, ankle material so that the rock doesn't fall in there as easily. And that way I prevent future rocks from getting in there as well. So AKA you wanna to get to the, as cheesy as it sounds, like the root cause of what's causing the anxiety. And it is difficult to do that sometimes, but if you don't, um, you're just gonna be chasing symptoms your entire life. And uh, symptom management always yields more symptoms because if you don't change the person that's causing the issues, uh, then the issues always return, and it's always the, always the person. So even if they, even if like the doctors told me it was genetic, like oh I have a chemical imbalance in my brain that's causing me anxiety, which is bullshit. Uh, that was just their prediction, and it turned out to be turned out to be false to begin with. But even if it was the case, um, genetics loads the gun, but your decisions in life pull the trigger. So for example, if you find that you are very anxious and overwhelmed a little bit, you know. Uh, Here's like a lot of stuff I've done uh, that worked for me. And if you find like you are anxious and overwhelmed, well maybe, you know, taking a high stress job isn't a good idea. Maybe getting in a relationship where the person causes you a lot of stress and is not very supportive isn't a good idea. Maybe foolishly spending your money uh, isn't a good idea because all those things are gonna contribute to stress, which will heighten your anxiety which will put you in a myopic state and make it even less likely for you to find a solution. And then the downward spiral continues into a life of mental and physical pathology, um, which unfortunately for most people, their only solution is just to be drugged into oblivion with dangerous psychiatric drugs, uh, such as anti-anxiety and antidepressants and stuff of that sort, which I personally haven't seen work on anyone long-term and just make people worse long-term, at least for my observation. Uh, and just to clarify for people that just have taken those drugs and have not changed what is causing the issues, which is what happens 99% of the time. So here are the steps I took and I currently still take to make sure I don't have any clinical levels of anxiety. And they're very straightforward. And honestly, this is just open source. I'm happy to share what has worked for me. It may or may not work for you. It is important for you to become your own mechanic and especially stay away from listening to people blindly online, which includes me, because they don't know you and they never met you and they don't know your current and personal circumstance and situation. The only plus side of sometimes listening to people online is that you can get new ideas rolling in your brain of possible options of how to solve a specific problem that you're currently having, but then it is your responsibility to diligently study that area thoroughly. Uh, so an example of how that studying could look like is two to three books a month minimum, reading heavily on that subject, 
ideally from a bit of variety of opinions. That way you can gauge at the variance of that problem and then determine what works well for you. Uh, application is very important too, so you need to apply it to see what works in your given circumstance. PubMed.gov is a great resource if you're looking for a lot of scientific literature on the subject. Hiring mentors is huge because one of the biggest obstacles of overcoming a problem is a lot of people unfortunately rely on the same belief system that led to the problem to solve the problem and it doesn't quite work like that. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. If you have a belief system that led to a problem and you try to solve that problem with the same belief system, it's, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. Okay, so getting a third person like a mentor in there um, that can see it from an outside perspective and give you some different vantage points of how to look at it can be huge and life changing. And pretty much everyone you see on TV that's a success or a standout in your office have had mentors in their life, I guarantee it. And a lot of them were paid mentors. It's just how it works. And I've had many and I never regretted it. They've always really fast-tracked my understanding of that specific area and have helped me a tremendous amount. And there's no way I would have done it myself, even with all the studying and stuff of that sort. Although I do recommend doing that as well because it's an amazing supplement to getting good mentorship. So here's, here's what I did personally, and I'll start with just random topics. Um, the easiest thing, I mean, people can do to deal with their anxiety that they have most control over is just focusing on changing their diet. And what I try to do, I do quite a bit with my diet, but one of the biggest things is I try to really have a good ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in my diet. So it's usually like a one-to-one -one or one-to-two ratio or something of that sort, or sometimes ideally probably have like three to four omega-3s to every one omega-6. And this will help keep the inflammation lower in your body. And if you look up the inflammation theory of disease, you will see that pretty much all disease originates from low-grade or high-grade chronic combination of low and high-grade inflammation in your body that's chronic. And then they kind of lead to a breeding ground of all sorts of disease and stuff of that sort. But by keeping your inflammation down, you also keep the inflammation down in your brain. Because remember, inflammation starts in the body and leads to inflammation in the brain. And an inflamed brain will lead to various mental disorders over a long enough period of time. So by addressing that inflammation through diet, you're able to control that omega-3 to omega-6 ratio and, um, and have that variable in check. So some things I do, for example, is just make sure I get uh, just legitimate grass-fed meat products. So I stay, I do eat chicken and duck from time to time for sure, but the majority of my protein sources come from wild fish, elk, deer, um, legitimate grass-fed and grass-finished beef, bison, um, also eat wild boar from time to time as well because all of those animals, when they're fed a species-specific diet, their omega-3 to omega-6 ratio will be one-to-one -one or three-to-one or something of that sort. And thus, that is how your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio will be in your body too. And that's one way to bring down the inflammation in your body and thus bring down the inflammation in your brain. But when you're eating a lot of things uh, that have a tremendous amount of omega-3, such as processed food, using a lot of different various uh, industrial seed cooking oils, which are very high in omega-3, and don't keep that in check, 
your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio will be completely off. So a lot of Americans, they may have a ratio of one omega-3 to like 20 or 30 omega-6s, so very highly inflamed. And obviously that inflammation in the body will lead to inflammation in the brain and will make any mental disorder that one is experiencing even worse than it should be. You know, so I try to also make sure to keep, uh, also make sure to get a lot of phytochemicals from various organic uh, fruits and vegetables. A lot of times just decreasing your overall stress load on the body, which doesn't necessarily only include mental stress, but actually the physical burdens on your body, uh, such as an extremely high toxic load, which people get through diet and the environment, just by decreasing that, you give your central nervous system some room, some breathing room to relax a little bit and focus on other things. But if you have an abundance of chemicals flowing into your body 24 seven, uh, it's gonna cause an immune response. Your central nervous system is gonna be constantly busy trying to fight off all these chemicals and thus increasing the more burden on your body, increasing the more burden on your mind, making you feel more stressed and thus anxious or worn down and stuff of that sort. So I try to get a lot of phytochemicals from fruits and vegetables. I try to keep them definitely at least USDA organic, uh, which, you know, the USDA organic logo isn't of the absolute gold standard visit. It is a huge upgrade from what people are getting just on a consistent basis. So if you could do it, do it. And then I would recommend, um, I do hear a lot of people have financial, uh, rebuff to eating organic, but just know that you're, it's, it's a lot more to, it's a far more costly to look terrible and feel terrible directly and indirectly. Like I quoted many times before, the average American spends eight to $16,000 a year on non-essential expenses, eating out with friends, alcohol, travel, the new iPhone, uh, car that you know, a bit more of a pricier car that they really don't need, random hobbies that are often used just as distractions and don't provide any like long lasting happiness at all, or just buying things that provide sugar highs and then, you know, the sugar high is gone very quickly and they have no happiness whatsoever. But then they turn around and tell you they don't have money for organic food, where a 2000 calorie organic diet is way less than eight to $16,000 a year. And, um, they're okay with spending it on that junk, but not organic food, which is one of the reasons in their belief system, which is why they're very overweight, very haggard looking on various medical drugs. That would need to be addressed in that person questioning that belief system, uh, because that is leading to various mental and physical challenges. So phytochemicals, um, from vegetables and fruits, especially kind of like greener vegetables like broccoli, for example, kale, etc., uh, etc., et bok choy. Uh, they have a lot of uh, chemicals that help carry out a lot of different various chemicals, synthetic chemicals in your body. So that's helping you decrease your toxic load as well and also help you be more regular, which is another way of excreting, regular in terms of going to the bathroom thoroughly, which is another way of excreting a lot of those uh, synthetic industrial and uh, agricultural chemicals that are brewing in your body. And it is a pretty serious topic to consider because, you know, the average newborn born in a metropolitan area in America these days is born with 
200 trace amounts of 200 different chemicals already brewing in their body. And the unfortunate truth is um, nine out of 10 Americans these days easily are so mentally and physically not well, but have unfortunately been like that for so long, they actually think they're doing well, where they're not at all. They're just normalized pathology to the max. And through various layers of cognitive dissonance and trick, tricking themselves into reframing the negative into the positive, they've made themselves believe their own lie that they're doing well, but they're not doing well at all. And you can just see this by their appearance. Uh, they're highly inflamed and highly sick and haggard appearance. And um, once again, that study I quoted many times, nine out of 10 Americans being metabolically sick right now in America, just facts are facts at the end of the day. Uh, pathology has for sure been normalized in this culture, unfortunately, because it is a great it is a great country, but unfortunately, just its citizens are falling apart uh, for various reasons. Uh, oftentimes, it is their fault, not their environment's fault. Uh, so, another thing I focus on is great gut health. I think this is huge for for a, a variety of reasons, improving uh, your sense of anxiety. Because obviously if you're having a lot of gut issues or digestive issues, not only is that gonna be like a burden on you and weigh you down mentally because you have to deal with that all day, uh, but it is also gonna affect your brain health as well in a negative, negative way. So I try to have a GI map test done at least once a year, even if nothing's going on, just to keep a check on how everything is working down there, okay? And it's very important too, because obviously your gut is where your body assimilates all the nutrients it needs to power its various functions throughout the day to help you with your survival. Uh, stimulants are huge too. So I'm obviously drinking a cup of coffee right here, but it's only one cup a day. And I usually cut it off around this time or most likely even earlier on most days. Okay, so a lot of especially Americans are addicted to coffee or even worse, uh, various energy drinks, uh, which are, I think, very bad for you and you shouldn't have them at all. Uh, but a lot of Americans are also sleeping around five hours a day and that quality of sleep is also very, very poor. So they're constantly very tired and haggard. But instead of focusing on improving their sleep, they just drink more stimulants and more coffee and thus running on negative energy and exhausting their adrenals even more, which is gonna heighten any kind of symptoms of anxiety the person experience, experiences because of constant overflow of cortisol production. Uh, and just know like at a certain point in the beginning, there will be a lot of cortisol production, but because it's in a limited supply in your body and it's like an alertness hormone, your body would eventually stop producing it in large quantities and then you'll have adrenal fatigue issues. So very low sex drive, just always constantly chronically tired no matter what happens, always drowsy, always having kind of like a foggy minded brain, poor sleep quality, and the lower quality your sleep, the more anxious in periods of time you will be during the day. Uh, because as, you're, as you fatigue, and you're running on poor quality sleep, you're far more irritable and stresses are perceived as far greater than they actually are. So if a stress is really like a two out of 10 and you didn't get a good night's rest, all of a sudden that two out of 10 is perceived as like a five or six out of 10. And it adds up and especially a lot of people have an abundance of micro stresses in their life these days. 
especially in Western culture. And uh, obviously that accumulation of micro and macro stresses is, is very overwhelming for the body. And thus any symptoms of anxiety would increase. And as symptoms of anxiety would increase in relation to our conversation here of anxiety and fat gain, people often turn to food as comfort. Uh, because oftentimes they feel like out of control in the world, like they don't have control over their circumstances. And also they don't feel accepted in the world. Uh, and food provides you with both. They provide you with control and food always accepts you for who you are without even questioning it. Uh, it gives you love, it gives you pleasure. Good day, bad day, medium day, shitty person, not shitty person. It gives you pleasure and the person is able to put it back etc etc this vicious nasty cycle begins and then all of a sudden the person finds themselves like 300 pounds overweight on various medical drugs and the medical community loves this because they make so much money out of it but unfortunately just the person remains very mentally and physically unwell so stimulants another topic on stimulants which is very important to address is when you are when you feel tired that's your body's way of telling you you need to rest not have more stimulants or grind it out. So if I feel tired, I just take a nap and 20 minute nap. And I actually usually most always do this nap all the time. And it helps a tremendous amount with managing anxiety. So for example, I'll work out in the morning. It's always a pretty tough workout. Um, and then I'll come home, eat something, take a shower, and then take a 20 or 30 minute nap, then begin my day. And it's a way different day when you get to take that nap versus not because I don't have any midday energy crashes for sure when taking that nap. And I just feel like at peace and very rested, especially when that nap is following a tough workout. I don't know. It just feels like pretty amazing, actually. Um, another thing to address that would lead to anxiety. Remember, you want to address anxiety multidimensionally, right? is making sure you don't have any bodily injuries or chronic pain, like any joint pain. Because let's say you have like gut issues, you have knee pain plus low back plus neck pain, plus like stiff musculature. All of that is gonna cause you to be stiff and tight and thus increase your chances of uh, elevating your levels of anxiety and experience of anxiety and stuff of that sort. So if you have any injuries, you would need to address all these injuries or chronic pain and ask deeper questions of, what is my body trying to tell me? Because obviously your body um, can't speak to you in English, right? So it communicates to you via pain. And when you are having pain, it's your body's way of telling you that something is wrong and it's not working. And anxiety is a form of pain. So is depression, uh, but so is low back pain, elbow pain, knee pain, etc. Your body's telling you you need to stop or dramatically alter what you're doing in order to get more in alignment for how that body has evolved to work. So with bodily pain, good postures could also go a long way on decreasing people's experience of anxiety. Because if you have like upper cross syndrome where you have a lot of rounding of the shoulders and the neck, uh, you get a lot of tightness in the upper back. And because of that tightness, it manifests itself into also just making you feel more tight and tense and thus giving you a more subjective elevated experience of being very very anxious so just improving your posture you know standing straighter for example or getting rid of that flat back which is causing compression intolerance in your spine and causing you to have an achy back all day 
uh, can go a really long way on also adding to less anxiety during your day. I think another important thing that's very important to consider is uh, central nervous system management. This is huge for me personally. So especially in Western culture, which is a very on-the-go culture, um, central nervous system management is huge. And just telling people like, hey, you know, the human body hasn't, the human central nervous system, which its only function is to get you to survive better, basically, and it does this through a myriad of different ways, uh, hasn't really evolved that well on, you know, working 50, 60, 70 hour weeks uh, with deadline after deadline, plus having financial stress, plus having marital stress, plus living out of alignment with your inner star, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so when you experience a huge abundance of even micro stresses in the Western world, which a lot of people do, you get in traffic, you get to work, there's that, you know, manipulative, uh, kind of questionable coworker that you have to deal with all day, that's spiking, that's adding to your micro stresses or even macro stress. You got that, you know, demanding boss that maybe doesn't, means the best, but doesn't have good nonviolent forms of communication. So they like berate you and put you down and stuff of that sort. And that causes stress. Let's say you miss a deadline. You go to, you go to eat with your coworkers and they're eating all this highly inflammatory omega-6 rich foods, uh, probably with some more coffee, which causes a lot more micro stresses on the body. Then you get back into work, you know, another four or five hours of doing work you may not like get back into your car, go home and drive, sit in traffic, people are honking at you, et cetera, et cetera. More micro stresses than you get back. And a lot of people are unfortunately just married to the wrong person, uh, which adds a huge amount of micro and macro stresses in the person's life. And you can see the accumulation of all these micro and macro stresses add a gargantuous amount of anxiety to the person's life. And obviously without correcting all of that, uh, their anxiety will persist. And unfortunately just taking, in my opinion, taking a medical drug doesn't correct any of that either. So, okay, you know, you have a untrustworthy partner. How's, a mental, how's an anti-anxiety drug going to help you resolve that issue? You work way too many hours at work and have trouble keeping up with the deadlines. How is taking an anti-anxiety medication gonna help you with that? Um, so stuff of that sort. In my opinion, from my observation, distancing yourself, especially from corporate work and stuff of that sort, will only be a huge health upgrade. Um, just because typically you won't find a mentally or physically well individual in that environment and just that kind of energy accumulates in that kind of environment and it really it wears off on your spirit as well causing you to absorb their anxiousness and stuff of that sort so by maybe going and working remote that's huge uh, that's something like i would personally do if i was in that environment just so you can start developing some kind of distance uh, between that cesspool and thus regain your vitality and energy and also just think more clearly because when you're around such uh, those type of people, uh, you're gonna be absorbing their belief systems as well. And 
being just like them but trying to be better is one of the worst decisions in my opinion because if they're all sick why would you want to be a more sick version of them you know so stuff of that sort so um that's huge you know work environment is huge so you got to pick the right work environment that's right for you and i would also i try to personally stay away from reframing or various forms of cognitive dissonance like turning the negative into the positive like oh yeah you know it's not ideal but i get this and this but i get this and this and trying to really create some lies and and then make yourself believe in those lies and then you do that for so long you forget what the truth and the lie is and then it's like a, it's like a quicksand of disaster when a person starts doing that when they start reframing the negative into the positive and silencing the true answers which are always present in your inner star if you just sit quietly long enough you, your soul is always telling you the right answer the right answer is always there um it's just most people they get caught up in the game of life and they unfortunately get caught up in, in reframing strategies and, and changing the negative into the positive and doing this for a long time, just really forgetting who they are at the end of the day or just not knowing altogether. And then obviously the the bigger the disconnect there between, you know, who who you are and then who you're really portraying yourself to be in the world, that's gonna cause a tremendous amount of anxiety, which will always be followed by depression, burnout, anger, et cetera, et cetera. So okay. Um I like to also incorporate four to five tough workouts every single week. The human body has, and it hasn't really even changed, the DNA hasn't even really changed for the Homo sapien over 200,000 years, has evolved to be exposed to rigorous exercise on a consistent basis. So I try to have at least four to five tough workouts uh, per week. I love gym workouts, but it does need to be in the gym. If you're not a gym person, just pick something that you really enjoy and can stay consistent with. I just like going into the gym because not only can I get my tough workouts in there in a safe way because it's a very controllable environment, but also it's one of the best ways to build a beautiful body. And although, you know, it's shunned a little bit in health to have a beautiful body, but I don't think it should be because if you if you are if you make yourself into a you know, develop a beautiful body and just look very attractive you feel a lot better about yourself and that has a positive ripple effect on all aspects of your life, obviously. Okay, I've never seen anyone go from being overweight to having a sexy body and then regretting it, you know, and saying like, ah, oh, I don't like this, you know what I mean? Uh, so I think that should be improving yourself aesthetically, should be an important part of a honest health and wellness journey because it will make a big difference in your self-esteem and just also how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself. So with the workouts, I personally, you don't have to do this. Obviously, this is just what I do for me, but I personally just avoid deadlifts and barbell squats, not because they're bad in a sense, uh, but just I don't need them for what I'm trying to accomplish. And also, I just find it kind of really tough on the central nervous system. I like having a little bit longer workouts and when you do include especially really intense deadlifts or barbell back squat type movements, it is very taxing on the central nervous system and it makes you feel like more exhausted or more anxious throughout the day. 
if you're not careful with incorporating them into a properly periodized program. So A, I mean, the big thing is, do you even need them, which I don't, and B, um, I could just find alternative exercises that aren't as taxing uh, on the central nervous system. So, John is in the house, good to see you. Let me know what's new, take a little break here. Saw a bunch of other people jumped in as well. Aaron, Jimmy, just gonna name a few of you guys. Ivan, Giovanni, great name. Ray, David is in here as well. David Larson, Lee, good to see you. John Rajalis is here too, good to see you as well. Okay, so we're wrapping up here. Uh, another thing is with, with finances. So for me, uh, what he, books that made a huge difference, I forgot the author's name already. I know it's somewhere in here. Let me see if I can possibly see the title. But anyways, it's The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, I forgot the exact uh, author's name, but amazing book that can really help manage your finances well. And also another book that works in tandem, it's roughly the same message, is uh, the, the Psychology of Money. And it, and it really gives a lot of good pointers on how to responsibly manage the money you earn and uh, the good thing is about the um, the Millionaire Next Door book, he gives a lot of examples of how blue collar workers uh, do become, are, are, are the abundant millionaires in the US through proper investing and saving programs and stuff of that sort. Uh, because if a person isn't careful with their finances, I mean, it's obvious that it can cause them a lot of stress, especially if you're living in a monetary society. So for me, just implementing the stuff in that book was huge. Um, also, like I just, I grew up on an off-grid farm in Ukraine, you know, uh, with pretty much nothing. And I found that life was still great. And I kind of just grew up with that belief system. And also just even through buying stuff in the States, I quickly learned that um, just a lot of materialistic possessions outside of your basic needs, your honest basic needs, for me personally, just really didn't provide much outside of sugar highs at best. So I was like, well, you know, it's not really doing much for me in the long run, except maybe just making me really happy for this moment. Uh, but then after the fact, you know, the money's gone, etc., etc. So I'll be like, I'll just, I'll just stop buying all this stuff and just really just focus on my essentials because at the end of the day, all I really enjoy doing is just um, is working out, sleeping in. Um, reading books, which you can see here. I buy a lot of them just used on Amazon or through a local bookstore, just to kind of save on the material, but also just save on the cost as well. And so those are very low cost activities because I just found early in life, luckily, that's just what I really enjoy doing. And it really provides more lasting happiness for me. Like, you know, the gym workouts, I get to enjoy a good looking body and good health every single minute of every single day. Same with knowledge. I mean, some of the books suck, but some of them are great and really do give you uh, great ideas of some things you could incorporate in your life or just perceive in life differently, etc., etc. That's huge, you know? Um, yeah, John is a big, big fan of Sleeping In too. Welcome to the club. We should start another group, like Sleeping Club uh, group, so stuff of that sort. So uh, that's important for you to consider, you know, in terms of how you're spending your finances. Uh, in my opinion, like one thing, and especially see a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people still in this group 
that are just very sick and uh, not doing mentally or physically well, could be on a lot of psychiatric drugs and stuff of that sort. And instead of, you know, I'd like to see you guys taking courses, health courses on how to overcome those challenges, but I see a lot of you guys spending money on travel. It's like, okay, you're gonna go to Europe and spend, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars for a week trip, but then you're gonna return back to the same exact environment that's causing that depression, anxiety, etc. And but you're down a few thousand bucks. I'd rather you take that money and spend it on on books to resolve that issue or courses or hiring a mentor and stuff of that sort and being wiser with your money instead of just foolishly spending it on sugar highs and stuff of that sort. So um, that's what I would do personally if I were you. So, uh, okay, yeah, so we're gonna close it out pretty soon here. It's about rounding the hour. You know, I'm gonna cover, on the next show, I'm gonna cover a lot more in quantum psychology. It seems like always on these lives, I get to it, but then never really have enough time to go into it in depth. So next time I'm gonna go into quantum psychology in a lot more in depth, but it's something that helped me personally uh, quite a bit. And quantum psychology is presented mainly by Stefan Walensky, and also just studying a lot of Maharaja's work as well, uh, just to just to really help me understand anxiety better and just my personality type and the main fear of that personality type, and then just really work on dismantling or discarding that and uh, stuff of that sort. So one of the exercises, there are a myriad of exercises in the books that they offer, but one of them is uh, just really taking the label off of a sensation. So a sensation, whenever you have anxiety, for example, if you really meditate on it, you'll notice it starts as always a physical sensation in the body somewhere. And then through your you know, social programming and experience, you kind of label that physical sensation as, um, I feel anxious. And then you build inferences upon that anxiety. So I feel anxious because, um, gonna not get my deadline done on time at work. I feel anxious because uh, my partner's spending money unwisely and it's gonna put us into debt or so, something of that sort. And then you build inferences upon inferences. So I'm gonna miss my deadline and, and why does that matter, you know? Oh, because then I'm gonna get fired. Why does that matter? Because I'm gonna be out of the job and have no money and can't pay my mortgage. And then anxiety, anxiety, and more anxiety, and more anxiety builds off that. So one, it's not easy, but one helpful thing that I've learned to do over the years is to take the label off of that energy and just see it as energy. And then it loses pretty much all of its sting right away. And just with any energy, just like any thought, you'll notice that it arises out of nothing. It lasts for a little bit and then it subsides back into nothing. So as long as you just don't label that energy with something, you'll notice that it just dissipates really quickly and subsides. You can't really become anxious with just energy without a label because it's fairly meaningless at that point. So there are a myriad of other things. I do gotta take off, unfortunately, right now. There's someone waiting for me. I'm gonna, you know, just go enjoy the town today a little bit and relax. But there are, uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff I do, but there is a good base of how I approach how I would approach anxiety and fat gain multidimensionally to come to a complete resolution of those symptoms. And if you're having a lot of the issues in this area, I just urge you to ask, 
ask yourself honestly, if you don't address a lot of these areas, how is another boot camp, another anti-anxiety drug gonna help you, et cetera, et cetera. Also, personally, from personal experience, and you can do whatever you like, like I personally would never see a psychiatrist ever. I just don't agree and don't think what they're doing is ethical at all. And it's questionable whether psychology helps as well uh, with a lot of anxiety issues because I really never see anyone come to a complete resolution of their symptoms uh, personally when seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So there's my take uh, of what I would do personally. Uh, Thank you for jumping in. I see some people here. So, John, boom, boom, boom. Okay. All right, you guys. Have a good one. Bye.